Hi there. How's it going? Good to see you. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Michael. Yeah. If you forgot who I am, I'm Pastor Michael. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. It was a good trip. My mom turned 90. And uh, yeah, go ahead. It's cool. Yeah. For the, for the past three years, you know, uh, don't talk about my 90th. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> three months ago, you're not going to plan anything. I'm not going to make it. She has a great mind, you know. She's got a lot going for her. She just needs help for her outlook. I think a number of us probably need help with our outlook, you know. Anyway, uh, she was in good spirits on her birthday. I think on Friday, she was like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, she had this one moment at the birthday party, everybody crowded in a room, when she had a chance to speak. And what she had to say, so profound, I think it represents a spirit in all of us, when she said, finally, it's all about me. <laughs> that is just classic. That is, that is so classic. You know, Rick Warren, uh, he's the guy who said, it's not about you. Remember that? Purpose Driven Church? Not about you, right? Well, there you go, Rick Warren. Uh, somebody, somebody has another idea on all that stuff. <laughs> pretty, pretty funny. Hey, it's, it is a special day today. It's, it's um, what is it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. On the high church calendar, uh, you know, I, I just teach through the word and I don't get too hung up on this stuff and, and trust God to lead me. And, and by the way, um, you know, I don't know whether I ask forgiveness on this. I, no, no apologies here. I think I'm, I'm being who God created me to be. I hope so. I, I was so privileged to sit under... Uh, a guy named Pastor Jimmy Johnson, and, and if I, only I could preach as, as, as like he, he did. And, uh, and there, there's another pastor in the room that, that preaches that way. I, I mean, Pastor Jimmy would take his Bible, and he would just walk around and read Scripture, and he had it all. I mean, he just could talk to you. I, I just love that. I, I wish I could be like him, you know? Uh, but yet, I, I have to celebrate who I am. I, I loved sitting under his teaching. In fact, one day I was so caught up in his teaching that after it was all over, he handed me his notes. <laughs> this is my notes. I just thought you would appreciate these. And I have to tell you, on his notes were one, two, and three, three words, and three scripture passages. And on that, God used him in a powerful way. God. Love that guy. Love that guy. But, but uh, he was invited back during the whole uh, Jesus movement and uh, the Holy Spirit renewal to a church that was just ignited in San Diego. And uh, they had an amazing pastor. Uh, some great worship leaders came out of that church. Just in, in, incredible. Uh, and Pastor Jimmy always preached on Sunday nights. And there was one old saint that, that came up to Pastor Jimmy one, one night and he said, you know, you're my favorite preacher. And, and nothing to, uh, uh, to, um, to attack uh, the guy they used to call Pop. What was his last name? I can't remember. What? Butcher. Pop Butcher. Pop Butcher. He's a legend. <laughs> just an incredible guy. Oh, man. He could go to the piano and just take people. Oh, cool stuff. Um, 
worship, worship, worship. But this old guy said to Pastor Jimmy, you know you were my favorite preacher. He said, um, but I just got to tell you, we need some windows. We need some windows. See, Pastor Jimmy was so in love with the Word of God that he maybe didn't include some stories to bring it home. And one of the amazing things about Jesus was he always had stories to tell. And you can't cross-reference those stories to the Old Testament. These were stories that were relevant in the day to make the point. And so while I teach through the Scripture, and I try to be faithful, and I love that, I do use some windows. And I think the reason I'm telling you this is because I heard someone privately talking about their Bible studies where they said, nothing else is allowed in the Bible study. No outside stories, uh, no other resources, nothing, okay? And I just thought to myself, and maybe this was triggered by a time with the pastors on Thursday, because I love meeting with pastors, and it's a privilege, and I in no way want to attack them, but we were praying together, and as we were praying for um, the Easter service, there, there were two prayers that were prayed that I was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I mean, bless them. Let them be that. And, and I don't want to impress you with my intellectualism. I don't want to be here to tickle your ears and to, and to give you something you don't know, you know, kind of thing, like surprise you, like look how amazing. I don't want to be that guy. In fact, I don't even think I, I'm capable of being that guy, okay? Let me be an example of foolish things. But their prayers were all about, oh, Lord, let us, let us so, so, so articulate the scriptures and, 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 and let us so, so um, say, say it so well that, and it was all about the sermon. It was all about the sermon. I'll never forget when I was studying for ministry, uh, I, I, I was at the breakfast um, uh, and uh, there were these other theologues, that's what I was, a theologue, you know. And, uh, and I was eating breakfast, and, and uh, they were telling me they're going to early service. They're going to early service, you know. And uh, I looked at my watch, and I said, you guys, early service is like starting. And, you, and they said to me, these are guys studying for the ministry. They said, oh, we don't care about the preliminaries. We just want to get there for the word. In other words, these guys studying for the ministry were saying that nothing else matters and the most significant thing is our part and what we're going to say in the preaching of the word. And I'm so different. I love this one church that I got to be a part of where God was on the move. Unfortunately, the pastor got intimidated and, and ran when he shouldn't have, but God was using him. In a powerful way. He too brought in a powerful preacher that people were thinking he was the best preacher, but the truth was God had anointed this particular man who wasn't the greatest preacher in the world, and he got intimidated and ran away. Church growth experts came to that church to diagnose why it was being so successful, and their conclusions were, there's no reason on the planet for this church to do, be doing so well. Can I just say glory to God for that? <laughs> and, and with that pastor, it was about worship. I mean, my goodness, he had this worship leader that, oh my goodness, you know, he was kind of just like the, uh, you know, like the guy to get things going. And you could feel this pastor start to get blessed. They had a grand piano on the stage, empty always, and he would get blessed because the worship guy was kind of just getting things going. 
And then Pastor Hauser, and this is very interesting, Valerie's two aunts, one on the organ, one on the piano, on both sides of Pastor Hauser, no matter where he went, they could all go with him. And you want to talk about amazing worship. But you know what it was all about? It was all about God's presence. And so if there's a prayer, it's not that I'm going to be the best preacher on the planet or amaze you with my capacities to reveal things like never before, but to know that we've been with God. And I guess I can't make an apology for that. I guess I can only be who God called me to be. Yeah. And, and you know what my prayer is out of that, really? I mean, it's not that I'll be able to boast about having every chair filled, in fact, clear to the top, and, and having multiple services. And, and, uh, and uh, multiple services and... Uh, um, I don't even know what I was going to say. It's okay. Join the club. Join the club, yeah. Is <laughs> that you, Susan? You know, Susan, you're, you're just looking for attention. I, I, yeah. It's all about you, right? Yeah. I... I was listening to Jamie's teaching last week, and, you know, she said, well, everyone under the age of 16, uh, raise your hand, their hands, and there your hand went up, and, and there you are getting attention again. <laughs> it's okay. I got a birthday card when I turned 60 that had one of those wheels where you could change your age on it, and, and somebody actually had the nerve to put it to 60, and because Valerie's always saying, well, how old do you feel? And honestly, I feel 34, so I turn the thing back, and still right now, you go look at it on the counter, it says 35. Now, I'll bet one of you in this congregation gave me that card. I just want you to know, it doesn't say 60, it says, it was you, Lisa, Lisa. Oh, man, I did, another one who needs attention, there's Lisa. <laughs> it's all about Lisa, it's all about Lisa. <laughs> and so, uh, it's all about presence, but today is... It's Palm Sunday, and uh, but but I pref- uh, it, 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 we 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 think about it as the triumphant entry, the triumphant entry, because Jesus did incredible things, and and people kept trying to make him king. And, and boy, we, we were in in Vegas last week. My confession, I said, don't put any pictures online. But we met some Zionists. That was a highlight for me. Some awesome Jews, and we had some awesome conversation. They had great great. Great questions for me. But the reason the Jews sadly much missed Jesus is because they were looking for a king who would come and deliver them from oppression. And they weren't looking for a humble king who would die for their sins. And that's why Jesus came. So the triumphant entry, this big to-do, to-do, to-do. And we love throwing to-dos for Jesus, you know. Hosanna. And, I, and honestly, in the Catholic Church, I love coming on Palm Sunday. And I always wanted to get the palm leaves. And, and I just love that. And we go home, we make things out of the palm leaves. And, and you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus is worthy of, of all the accolades in the world. But friends, this was the setup that would lead ultimately to his death. He didn't do things the way they wanted him to. And still today, 
people get, give up on God because he doesn't do things the way we want him to. But God will do things the right way according to his time and according to his purpose and plan. And you know what? I'm good with that. Go, God, go, right? I don't understand it all. I don't like it all. I was talking about Pastor George today, Pastor George Vokes, that spirit-filled Lutheran preacher sitting in the front row cheering me on, but he had one sorrow. His wife had gone before him, and he would just express disappointment in the Lord for leaving him here. And then I'm saying this, and I'm thinking about other people who are like, well, how could you let the one I love go and you leave me here? But God knows what he's doing. And you're here for such a time as this, and God be glorified. Man, I am not getting this word, but this is a word for today. I can't believe it. You know, I'm just walking through Scripture, and I cannot believe where I am today in the, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 5, starting with verse 19, because the title that I gave this message, you ready for it? A word for Jesus killers. Wow, can you believe that? A word for Jesus killers. And the text confronts us with a very important question that's been attributed to a scholar by the name of C.S. Lewis, okay? Uh, C.S. Lewis is, has made it in secular culture through the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and, and other stuff. So he, he was a scholar, and, and this is attributed to him, but if you look at it truly, he got it from somebody else, okay? And that's just the way it is in all this stuff. There's nothing really new under the sun, and, uh, but Lewis is known for, for this question. So he was a scholar, he was an atheist who, like many atheists, was on mission to just get rid of the Christian faith once and for all. On my intellectual efforts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show how Christianity is false, that it, there's no way that anybody should ever believe it. And as a result, like others, C.S. Lewis found himself falling on his face before God and calling Jesus his, his Savior and his Lord. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, that, let's clap for that, man. Praise God. He's able. <coughs> yeah. Um, so um, one of the conclusions he came to, it really points to the question on the floor today. And the question is basically, who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus a liar? Is Jesus a lunatic? Is Jesus something worse, or is Jesus Lord? Okay, so I, I just want to have a little fun with this. Um, you know, my name is Michael. It's a good Catholic name, okay? I was named after the archangel Michael, and the name Michael means, drum roll please. Yeah. One who is like God. Yeah, yeah. So let's take a vote right now. How many of you would say, yeah, that's Pastor Mike. He's just, yeah, there he is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's all about me. There, there you go, right? Yeah. What what I hear over here from the peanut gallery? It's all about you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you Tuesday and we'll talk about that some more. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. So if I were to start uh, saying things like, okay, God has confirmed it. It's, it's true. Uh, I'm just like him. And uh, so now I am the righteous standard that all the rest of you need to begin living up to. Scary, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Some of you would not come back next week, I'm sure. 
And, and the rest of you who did come back, I'd be concerned about you. And, and others of us would, would as well. So if I were to start claiming in a different vein, and this is Lewis because I was captured with Lewis as I was studying the text. If I were to start saying, I'm a poached egg, at least at that point, you would know I'm out of my mind, right? You would know something is wrong, well, you probably wonder about that anyway, but, but you know, uh, there's something screwy going on up there. But if I claim to be God, and if I claim to be Christ, it might not be that there's something crazy going on. It just might be that I have less than noble intentions. Would you agree? Yeah, okay, so now I want to introduce you to these three messiahs that I read about a long, long time ago. Okay, Leon, Joseph, and Clyde, okay? Real people, they all suffered from, and I'm not even getting into the text now, I know, but we're going to get there because it's all about the scripture here as we get going, okay? They, they had what was known as a messiah complex, okay? It wasn't narcissism. It wasn't grandiosity or anything like this. All three were chronic psychiatric patients at a hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan, all diagnosed with psychotic delusional disorder, grandiose type, and each maintained that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. They were the three little messiahs. That's what we'll call them, okay? So psychologist Melton Rokish, he wrote about his attempts to help these men come to grips with reality and, and to begin to embrace who they, who they really were, who they, who they really are. But change came, came really hard. They weren't sure they could go on in life if they weren't this person, this significant individual that they thought they were. They could be rational in other aspects of life, but when it came to the Messiah delusion, they just, they just couldn't get past that. So with little to lose, Rokis set out on this experiment. He put the three men into this small group where for two years they were assigned to Jason beds. They took their meals together. Uh, they worked at the same jobs together, and then daily they met for a discussion Group. What Rokish was trying to do is see if rubbing shoulders with other would-be messiahs might just help these men to, to get over it. So it was kind of a messianic recovery group, if you will. I mean, you don't know whether to laugh or cry at this stuff, uh, but I do remember all this back in the 60s growing up and this kind of stuff happening. This was actually back longer than that. But as you might imagine, this experiment led to some very interesting uh, conversations because one of the patients might say i am the messiah the son of god and i am on mission to save the world and so dr rokish would say well how do you know that and the patient would come back with well god told me and then one of the other patients would chime in and said i never said that <laughs> yeah and what I want you to see, and I want us all to agree on as we're getting towards our text here, is that anyone who claims to be God or anyone who claims to be Christ is either broken at this point or driven by some kind of evil intentions. And so this begins to lead us into our text. And, and we're working through the scriptures. So last week, Jamie talked to you about this amazing miracle, okay? A guy at the pool of Bethesda that had been an invalid for 38 years. Everybody in the village 
knew that this guy was an invalid. They, they knew his story. It was a small, it was an Estes Park town, okay? So they knew who he was, uh, and Jesus gives them a command. Take up your mat and walk, and the man does. does don't you love that? Yeah. But the religious gurus, oh, we get so good at our religion, even today. They took offense because it was the Sabbath. And there's no, everybody knows, there's no healing allowed on the Sabbath. And so then Jesus responds, and this takes us back to the text last week, chapter 4, verse 17, where Jesus says this, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And then if you read on to verse 18, what you'll discover, and everybody knew this, is that by calling God his father, he was claiming himself to be equal with God. I mean, it's clear. That's the way everybody heard it. Now the religious establishment wants him dead. And instead of denying the accusations, Jesus is going to begin pushing the envelope. Okay, so now this is our text, right? He pushes the envelope, okay? He pushes it, he pushes it further. So, the, so now we're getting to the word for Jesus killers. He's going to push it here. Here we go. Starting in verse 19. Very truly. Now, those words, very truly, it's the same word written two times. Amen, amen. It's true, it's true. This is something that you can take to the bank. I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these. So that you will be, what's that word? So that you will be what? Amazed, Amazed, not angry. How do we miss it? How do we get angry at the work of God? Amazed. And here he is, reiterating, God's my father. I do what my father does. He goes, but further, here we go, keep going. He says, I am the giver of life. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And you know what? Many of those present would have been cross-referencing in their brain. Wait a minute. Didn't God say something like that to Moses? And if you go to Deuteronomy 32, you find right there where God says to Moses, I alone am the God who puts to death and brings to life. But he pushes it further. Verse 22, I am the final judge. Look at it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. But he's not going to stop there. He goes further. Watch this. I am the determiner of your ultimate destiny. Verse 24, look at it. Very truly. Remember, same two words. It's true, it's true. Amen, amen. You can take this to the bank. I tell you in this, this verse... This verse is, is what you need. To, we all need. To, I need to hear. You need to. This is the message. This is the good news. This is good news. Okay? 
Yeah, good news. Amen, amen. I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. But he pushes it further. I am the one who will raise the dead. Verse 25. Very truly, same two words. This is the authority of Jesus Christ. Take this to the bank. Amen, amen. It's true, it's true. Verse 25, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. (laughs) Yeah, and those words, to live, actually have a double meaning. In a literal sense, it's to hear and recognize his voice. But in a much deeper and more important way, it's about embracing and acting on what he said. Letting it transform your life. All of us are going to hear, everybody, I want to make sure we're getting it. Everybody is going to hear and recognize his voice. And and I believe he's even speaking to people right now. And either in that speaking, we're either killing Jesus or we're embracing Jesus because he's going to speak to everybody and everybody's going to recognize it at some point, but not everybody is going to embrace and act on it. And so the question, how are you responding to his voice? Which takes us to our question that we're forced to ask today. Who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus a liar? Is Jesus a lunatic? Is he something worse? Or is he who he claims to be? And think about where we just were, right? Equal to God, giver of life, final judge, determiner of your destiny, and the one who will raise the dead. And if he is who he claims to be, then isn't that a game changer? Shouldn't that be a game changer? Shouldn't it change everything about our approach to life, our view of life, how we do life? And, and I know there's stories in this room that you can say, Jesus changed everything, right? That's right. But some would rather kill Jesus than embrace him. And you know what? Bottom line, that is the tension in this world, killing Jesus and embrace. I, my mom had a moment when she spoke a word that just blew me away. Because my family gets into these conversations that are often based on the flesh. And my mom said, I believe the problem is we've forgotten God. Go, mom. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible says this. The mind governed by the flesh. What governs your mind? What governs your mind? What governs your mind? What governs your mind? What causes shots in your life? Huh? What is it? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. Do you know what that means? It means it's at war with God. It's in conflict. We're talking Jesus killers. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Jesus said this, Whoever is not for me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me 
scatters. And he goes so far as to say that it's not just about being with Jesus or having Jesus in the small little compartment called my heart, but it's about God so permeating and empowering you that you're actually participating in what God is doing. Wow. How are we doing so far? Is, is this edifying? Amen. Is this edifying at all? I mean, I would like to think that if you're, you're, you're embracing Jesus, that this is putting life into you. And I would like to think that if you're killing Jesus, that you're dealing with incredible tension right now. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I am. I am. Because I was there. I get it. Okay, but I need, I've been dealing with Lewis today. And so I had to give you this Lewis quote. It's, it's a, a couple of paragraphs. Listen to what Lewis says here. Watch this. I am trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. Then Lewis says that's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, (laughs) or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his knees and call him Lord and God. Yeah, right? But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And then he goes on. Lewis goes on. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Yeah. So right there, I have to point you back to that verse, verse 24. Look at it. Very truly. It's true, it's true. Amen, amen. You can take this to the bank. I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Would you please look at that verse? Okay. Look at it. Let it sink in. And consider this, if you had to repeat this verse to the person next to you in your own words, how would you put it? Look at it. How would you put it? Just you and God. How would you put it? So um, next week, Resurrection Sunday, and it's fascinating because as I proceeded in this study, I saw four resurrections in this verse and in the verses that follow. So I just quickly want to walk through those with you. The first resurrection is when a lost sinner finally comes to real life. Take this to the bank. It's true, it's true. Whoever hears my words and believes, 
has eternal life immediately and will not be judged because that person has literally crossed over from death to life. And I need you to notice that that verse strongly suggests to us that we are right now living in judgment. We are right now. It says crossed over from death. It's describing your life as death. It's describing my life as, as death. That's the word that's used to describe the judgment we're, we're living in. And it works like this. If God is the source of all life, and if God is the source of all blessing, then to be separated from him is to be separated from life and blessing. Well, we've all rebelled against God. Consequently, we've all been separated from life and blessing. But Jesus is saying, I have made a way. I am the way back to blessing. And the moment you put your life in my hands where it was created to be, it's then that you'll begin to understand life. And friends, to understand this is to understand why this world is so messed up. Our world is operating apart from God. In fact, it's operating in conflict to God, and God is allowing it to go on in order to give time to all who will to come to the place of repentance, and say, which is saying, I've gone my own way. It doesn't work, and I'm running home. And talking about worldview, I'm, Valerie, I didn't ask you this, um, and I know you got a lot going on. If need be, I'll go by myself. Um, if I can, I won't. But tonight, um, that movie, Unplanned, is going to be at Real Mountain Theater. Okay, I haven't had a chance to see it, but I, I hope to be there. <laughs> is that really putting you on the spot? I'm so sorry. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there at 4:30, God willing. Okay, and if you'd like to join me there, uh, let's go. Okay, and let's get a God view on life. Okay, can we do that together? Yeah, it's a little commercial there. Okay, yeah. Um, but the way to life is Jesus. So right here, you're going to have to pardon me here because where my brain goes sometimes, you know, I, I just have to believe it, it's of God. But, but right here, my brain went to the uh, cult classic comedy, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay, honestly, honestly, I can't help this stuff. Um, and you might not be familiar with this film. I, I wouldn't advise you go watch it, okay? I'm not, I, meet me tonight for Unplanned, <laughs> okay? Um, but anyway, uh, King Arthur and his men, at this one point, they come to this, this bridge, okay? And at this bridge, they are confronted by the Black Knight, okay? And the Black Knight obviously is going to refuse them passage and obviously will fight them to the death, Right? So when Arthur sees this, the first thing he does is he cuts off the Black Knight's left arm, okay? And the Black Knight leads the, this conversation by saying, "'Tis but a scratch.'" And, and, and Arthur says, "'A scratch? Your arm is off.'" "'No, it isn't. Well, what's that then?' "'Oh, I've had worse. You're a liar!' So with that, Arthur proceeds to cut off the Black Knight's right arm and the knight still wants wants to fight so arthur says you've got no arms yes i have look just a flesh wound i mean i know it's ridiculous and with that actually the black knight headbutts king arthur's it's a ridiculous scene before it's all over the black knight has no arms he has no legs he's kind of bouncing around like a stump okay and and king arthur pauses and I can tell who's watched this and who isn't. I can even tell who's watched it 12 times and who hasn't. 
Uh, yeah, he's bouncing around on, a, on, this, on, a, on this stump. Arthur's giving glory to God. Glory to God for the victory you've given us this day. They're proceeding to march across the bridge. And the whole time, the Black Knight's going, chicken, chicken, I'm not dead yet. The Black Knight always triumphs. Come back here and I'll bite your legs off. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? Why do I share that? I share it because, frankly, that's a picture of Michael Descoli before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. I had missing parts, and I was refusing to see them. I was broken, and I always had answers. I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm Catholic. I, I go to church. I'm not dead yet. I've still got a lot of life in me. But praise God, he didn't give up on me. He didn't give up on me, and he finally led me to a place where I could say, I'm dead. I'm dead. Listen to what God says to all who will hear. This day, please hear God speak. Don't hear me. God is speaking. I just believe it. Hear what he's saying. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, now choose life so that you and your children may live. Yeah. Second resurrection I see here is Jesus defeats the grave, verse 26. For the, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And basically, that's the resurrection story because Jesus lives, you too may live. Okay, the next resurrection I see is a future eternity in his presence, verse 27, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. In other words, the father has given the son this authority. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all those who are in their graves will hear their voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise and live, and that is good news. I look forward to the resurrection. So somebody hears that, and they say, so are you suggesting that we go into kind of a death sleep until Jesus comes? Well, here's the deal. See, with God, he's not limited by time or space like we are. So for all practical purposes, you can be confident that the moment you die, the next thing you're going to realize is that you're in his presence. But the important thing that we need to recognize is that resurrected, the resurrected life is not the reconstructed life. This isn't like Humpty Dumpty got his pieces put back together again. God is going to give you a brand new body. I like that. Fit for the kingdom. Yeah. But then there's a final resurrection. And this is a word to Jesus killers. Verse 29. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I do only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Just hone in on those words, uh, those who have done evil, because how many of us have done evil? All of us deserve this right here. And I need you to compare them to that previous verse where it says, those who have done good. Because our tendency might be to read this and think that it's suggesting that there's some good thing or things that we must do in order to finally win God's approval. But if you want to know the one good thing God wants everyone to get right, it takes us right back to verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death 
to life. In fact, in two chapters, Jesus is going to articulate it this way. Listen to this, chapter 6, 29. The work of God is this. <laughs> Did I tell you about the time I was with my mom at Mass, and I was amening the priest? Can you imagine that? Cement floors. Man, he's teaching Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep and goats. And he's saying, he's preaching about, you know, if you, you get, take care of the oppressed and the poor and the sick and all this. It's good. It's amen. Amen. And so he says, the work of God is to do all these things that are listed there. So I waited till everybody left. And I went up to this man who's much more smart, much smarter than me. And I said, good job today, Father Mark. I don't think I said Father Mark. Mark, I think I said I said, uh, do you know how the scripture says the work of God is to believe the one he sent? You did so well. Please don't miss that part. And he goes, well, do you want to start that Luther thing all over again? <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. But I need you to hear another scripture. I want you to notice the vertical, and if this is going too long for you, I just hope I'm being obedient to God and not worrying about people. But here's the word. This is a vertical connection. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift, the gift of God. Not as the result of works, lest anyone should boast or try to take credit for it. There it is, the one thing, vertical connection. But notice the horizontal effects. For we are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. Us in his hands, being fashioned like clay. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That's what it's all about. A vertical connection with horizontal results. We connect to God the Father through Jesus Christ. He then fills us with His Holy Spirit who then empowers us and changes our motivation so that we can operate in the things of God to such a degree that if somebody notices and said, how, how, wow, and all we say is all glory to God. All glory to Him. Don't look at me. And so we come right back to our question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he something worse? Or is he who he claims to be? And how might that change everything? How should that change everything? Are you a Jesus killer? Are you a Jesus embracer? That's what it comes down to. I'm going to invite the worship team here. We're going to have people, I don't know where they're meeting to pray, somewhere between here and there. Uh, I didn't have that conversation. I've been gone. But there'll be people here to pray with you. I love their spirits and desire to pray. If you've got prayer requests, you can use that response card to get them to one of the tables out front or to them. Yeah. But let's just pause right here. And our prayers are really twofold when we wrap up. And I just love these two prayers. And, and so would you pray and consider. Father, 
what is it that you're wanting me to hear today? And then, Father, how would you have me respond? And, Father, there's many in this room who want to thank you because we know we were Jesus' killers and you didn't give up on us. Thank you for not giving up on us. And there are others here you know you're not connecting to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And today there's the reality. If you're not with him, you're against him. And his response is that you turn around and come home. Come home. Come home. Think about these things.